0: Welcome to the London Walks podcast, presented by Andy Hallett and Adam Scott-Goulding.
1: So here we are, Adam, we're outside uh, St Paul's and we're, we're, we're speaking... Um, quietly, because we're just, we don't able to disturb the walk with Richard.
2: That's right, Andy. We have joined our colleague Richard Third on his Crime and Punishment walk. There's
1: hundreds, thousands of people here.
2: Yes, all uh, upstanding, handsome individuals. <laughs> uh, a pleasure to be in their company. Crime and Punishment, it is. Crime and Punishment, here we go. So,
0: we're going to go for a walk. Crime and punishment. In 1709... William and Anne Hammond were hanged for theft. Anne was 12, William was seven. The criminal age of responsibility was seven. This was the 18th century. The 18th century was known as the city of the gallows. The idea that history is a neat progression, a neat continuum, And in the old days, everything was terrible, and it gradually gets a little better, is not true. In the time of Henry VIII, there were about 50 different offences that attracted capital punishment, the death penalty. In the early 19th century, there were 222 different offences that attracted the ultimate penalty, the death penalty. It was so dangerous in the 18th century, the most dangerous century, probably, to be out and about, that you didn't go out alone and unaccompanied. You paid someone to walk with you, particularly at night, to light you in the streets. He was known as a link man. Not only was he lighting you, he was good with his fists, and he might even have a knife hidden somewhere to defend you. So the 18th century was a very dangerous time, And in just one three-month period alone, in the 1720s, 300 people were hanged in London. Not in the whole country, just in London. Eight days a year were gala days. A gala day, well, what, what do we think of a gala today? What do we think it is today? Swimming gala, yeah, you've got the badge, yeah. Anything else? I've got so what is a gala in general? What's a gala in general? Is a place where you do specific events? Yeah, a gala is a sort of entertainment really, isn't it? Yeah. Entertainment or something like that. But the word gala is a corruption of gallows. A gallows day. When apprentices, guys like you, were given the day off work to attend a public hanging. And they thought that if they went to the public hanging, they would know that this would happen to them, that it would act as a deterrent. So a gala day is a corruption of gallows. And you had the day off, so there's a bit of a carnival atmosphere, see someone meet their
1: maker hanging from a noose. So we've moved away from Richard.
2: Yes, we've given him a space, it's an excellent walk. I'd counsel you to go on that walk at your earliest convenience.
1: It was like a gallows day, a festival day, without the hangings.
2: Absolutely, without so the executions, absolutely. of course. Yes, it was, just, it was like being there without <laughs> without the blood. Now we're outside the Central Criminal Court in London, the Old Bailey. It's where we put bad boys and bad girls on trial. Uh, with its its mission statement the, the elevator pitch of the building stamped into the stone
1: I've never seen until um, until now defend the children of the poor and punish the wrongdoer
2: defend the children of the poor and punish the wrongdoer it's vivid stuff <laughs> to see the word wrongdoer hewn in stone uh, you're not messing about at this building <laughs> it, it looks like a Scottish church it sort of looms over you and speaks of a vengeful God and I rather like it and we're right
1: outside. What, what would you call this, Adam? This is—I'm sure this would be. This is very wide here because public executions would have taken place. We're right by a pub called the Magpie and Stump, and uh, there was a Magpie and
2: Stump, wasn't there? There was a yeah, pub there you could no, watch. There's a very modern building there, uh, the Magpie and Stump. The name is old, though. The name mm. uh, has only been revived recently for this wine bar-stroke pub. Um, Dickens mentions the Magpie and Stump in Barnaby Rudge, uh, set against the backdrop of the Gordon Riots. Uh, Crime and Punishment again um, in 1780 Uh, so the name's been revived and and the space as you say is quite Wide, it's broad. It's it's fashioned by the the Newgate Prison that stood here. And you could
1: um, you could take a room there, could you? You could take a room to watch the execution. The
2: legend is that the uh, that the landlord would sell seats at the upstairs window for five shillings, twenty-five p decimal, and you could watch the hanging. We made our own entertainment before we had <laughs> Sky Plus and the Xbox.
1: Now the last public ha- hanging, uh, 1868, okay. Michael Barrett. Um,
2: Did he have it coming? Was he a
1: bad lot? No, you know, he was innocent. I mean, I, by, by, by the sound of it, completely innocent. Um, but what I think is extraordinary about that, 1868, uh, the first tube to Farrington, Paddington to Farrington in 1863, 64. So, potentially, um, public hangings, you'd have got the tube to watch the hanging here. Okay. That sounds crazy, isn't it? One of those amazing kind of historical crossovers Quite so. Yeah, yeah. What, what
2: do we do today? What it? Oh, there's a hanging, it says, in Time Out. <laughs> uh, the names on the lists, it's a long list by now, um, of trials here. Uh, perhaps among the most famous, we've got the Cray the Twins, Ron and Reg. Sorry. I'm going to be dealing with them in a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the East End villains and gangsters, famous uh, in our country, but I was surprised a few years ago on the East End Walk. Yeah, they're uh, not familiar with the Krays, are they? No, a lady from Canada told yeah. me she never heard of them. So they're like Cliff Richards, So they're only famous here.
1: <laughs> so we're going to be going back to Richard, aren't we? Richard's going to do uh, a little bit more from his Crime and
2: Punishment Walk. Yes, then I I'm think. going to try and catch Ron and Reg, the Craze. And
1: I'm going to do a little bit on um, rogue pamphlets, uh, coney catching and rogue pamphlets of the the, the end of the 16th century to the beginning of the 17th century. I'm standing outside the Hospital of St Bartholomew's in the wall of Farringdon without, outside the city walls. There's a Farringdon within as well, but I'm outside. This area frequented on many of our walks, including Ghosts of the Old City, Shakespeare and Dickens, and of course Richard's New Crime and Punishment Walk. In the Tudor period, the population of London was was rocketing, and by the mid-16th century, London was ten times the size of Norwich, the only other reasonably large city in the country. In fact, from 1580 to 1640, London had tripled, from 125,000 people to round about 380,000. As London expanded, huge numbers of the poor and unemployed flocked into the city. Concerns over vagrancy and crime and disorder were paramount. Vagrancy had become something of an epidemic, and this ward a reception area for those arriving from the countryside. It stood right on the edge of Middlesex's red-light district, and its boundaries contained some of the most notorious crime spots in London. The ward became synonymous with the city's worst social and economic deprivation, and the number of arrests for crime and vagrancy were by far the highest in London. When the theatres were closed, often due to outbreaks of the plague, the dramatists would have to look elsewhere to make a living, and it was this expansion of London and its criminal element which would inspire them. Rogue and coney-catching pamphlets such as Robert Greene's A Notable Discovery of cozenage, 1591, had pilfered from a Tudor catalogue written by Thomas Harmon called A Caveat for Common Cursators, Vulgarly Called Vagabonds, 1566. So I have Thomas Harman's book in front of me, and what a wonderful gallery of colourful characters he describes. And of course, they're going to be absolutely irresistible to late sixteenth-century and early seventeenth-century dramatists. Are going to be fascinated by them, as were, of course, their audiences. Um, so I'm going to read out a few of them, and they all have their own individual uh, scams. But he begins his catalogue with a, a ruffler. The Ruffler, because he is first in the degree of this odious order, and is so called in a statute made for the punishment of vagabonds in the 27th year of King Henry Eighth, late of most famous memory. And these are going to pass themselves off as um, having served in the wars, and they might even show you some kind of wound they received. But they're going to seek to ask charity ruefully and lamentably that it would make a flinty heart to relent and pity his miserable estate. And we have a hooker or angler. Now, Harman sometimes describes um, what these characters are wearing. So he describes hookers or anglers being perilous and most wicked knaves. And they commonly go in freeze-jerkins and galley-slops, pointed beneath the knee. These, when they practise their pilfering. We have a prigger of prancers... Over horse stealers. Over palliard, these palliards be called also clapper dungeons. These go with patched cloaks and have their morts with them, which they call wives. And if he go to one house to ask his alms, his wife shall go to another. For what they get is bread, cheese, malt, and wool, they sell the same for ready money, for so they get more, and if they went together. You we have an Abraham man. These Abraham men be those that feign themselves to be mad and have been kept either in bedlam or in some other prison a good time. You have a freshwater mariner or whipjack. These freshwater mariners and their ships were drowned in the plain of Salisbury. These kind of caterpillars counterfeit great losses from the sea. You have a counterfeit crank. These that do counterfeit the crank be young knaves and young harlots that deeply dissemble the falling sickness. A drunken tinker, a swaddler or peddler. Uh, there's women as well, a demander for glimmer. These demanders for glimmer be for the most part women, for glimmer in their language's fire. These go with feigned licenses and counterfeited writings, having the hands and seals of such gentlemen as dwelleth near to the place where they feign themselves for being burnt, and their goods consumed with fire. They will most lamentably demand your charity, and will quickly shed salt tears they be so tender hearted. Got a bawdy basket, also women? and you have an autumn mort they will go around with children these will pilfer clothes off hedges you have a kitchen mort a kitchen mort is a little girl the morts their mothers carry them at their backs in their slates which is their sheets and bring them up safely till they grow to be ripe and soon ripe soon rotten Kitchen Co is a young boy, trading up to some peevish purposes, as you have heard of other young imps before, that when he groweth two years, he is better to hang than to draw forth. So these were all the kind of characters who would fill the Elizabethan highways and apparently flock into the City of London, haunting the streets, alehouses, laundries, sniping purses, feigning illness or poverty, and uh, spinning some new elaborate story but they would combine uh, a zest for life with their own inventive spirits as they, as they would con their way to fame, fortune, and often as not that grim rope at Tyburn, where on average 224 a year uh, would die under Elizabeth. Um, Harmon also describes a dictionary of a secret language called Thieves' Cant, or Peddlers' French. And I don't know if this is some kind of way related to our modern-day... Cockney rhyming slang but it's sort of derived from Old Romany so Harmon gives an introduction to this what he describes as peevish speech an unknown tongue um, only known to these bold, beastly, bawdy beggars and vain vagabonds so here goes a few um, a nab is a head a nab cheat, a hat or cap glaziers, eyes um, a prattling cheat, a tongue crashing cheats teeth, hearing cheats ears, a fambling cheat a ring on my hand um, a bung a purse Mint gold, flag, a groat, a skew, a cup, a cackling cheat, cockle capon, a nose gent is a nun, a roam-house, wine, a skipper, a barn, a jigger, a door, a gentry cove's, ken, a noble gentleman's house, a buff, a dog, the Lightman's, the day, the darkman's, the night, Romeville, London, Juiceville, the country, Romont, the queen. Uh, chats the gallows trinning hanging queer cramp rings bolts or fetters to finch to beat to strike to p- to rob to niggle to have to do with a woman calmly. and it goes on so as you can imagine, dramatists and pamphleteers of the late 16th, 37th century are going to be fascinated with this particular vocabulary and it's frequently plundered and recycled in plays and pamphlets uh, such as Gilbert Walker uh, and he wrote A Manifest Detection of Dice Play, 1552 John Audley, The Fraternity of Vagabonds, 1561 Thomas Decker wrote Lantern and Candlelight, 1608 Samuel Ridd, The Art of Juggling 1612 and it's going to be included in plays as well Middleton and Decker included it in the the, the Roaring Girl or Mole um 1611. Philip Massinger, Fletcher, Beaumont were also going to include it in The in the Beggar's Bush. It also had a fascination for the audience because I think they either recognised some of the language or were impressed by a kind of streetwise criminal underclass chic which is still alive today. And, of course, this veritable goldmine of characters is also going to provide, you know, a harvest for writers like Shakespeare. You can see um, Falstaff, the lovable rogue that is Falstaff in Shakespeare's Henry IV, or or subtle in Johnson's The Alchemist. Some people even recognise elements of journalism, and this would, by the mid-17th century, these pamphlets are going to develop into the first newspaper prints. There are also some elements of satire, On the one hand we're we're invited to marvel at the protracted ingenuity of the criminal. There's a a story in uh, a notable discovery of cozenage called the art of coney-catching. And we're asked to admire, we kind of admire the cunning of the cozener, their cleverness, their self-sufficiency and courage. On the other hand, in how Cook's wife in London did lately serve a collier for his cozenage, the coney outsmarts the cozener. In the final story, uh, how a flax wife and her neighbours use a cozening collier, a cozener is gold back, conned back into the house, given a mock trial, set upon him and punished out of all proportion. In this tale, Cody becomes Cody's and vice versa, so hero and villain is good and evil, indistinguishable. So this journey has been seen as a kind of journey in dramatic form from the brief character sketches of Harman to the satire of Green and eventually to the withdrawal of the writer's personality altogether and an imagined fictitious narrator. We are witnessing nothing less momentous than the birth of the novel. The romantic appeal of the Coseners, who never begged, lived by their wits alone, made their reputations by their ingenuity, terrorised the general public, spoke in a secret code and frequently ended up swinging from the tied them, is easy to imagine. In the rogue pamphlets we can see Some say the precursor of our modern-day crime fiction novel.
0: The London Walks podcast was compiled, produced and presented by Andy Hallett and Adam Scott Goulding. For details of the full programme of London Walks, London's best guided walking tours, go to www.walks.com. You can follow London Walks on Twitter, at London Walks. The London Walks podcast was an APB production.